I'm Matthew Connery. Corey Thistlewood. Jeremy Sitnick. And this is Times Before Can Be Forgotten, episode three of our podcast. And as the uh, the title goes, uh, we're going to talk about things that we don't want to forget about. And uh, nine years ago, this week more or less, we uh, lost a good friend of ours, uh, Tim Noonan. And even preparing for the pod today, I think that this was not the easiest subject for us to get our heads around, even though it's been nine years that he was uh, he was a great figure in all three of our lives. And I'm going to set it up today, even though everyone's ready for Jeremy Sidnick, our favorite podcaster, and Corey Thistlewood to a lesser extent. Jeremy's uh, mine. <laughs> I'm going to start with, uh, with verse 330 because it sets up a little bit about how we remember him, how we remember our friends. I don't know about the two of you, but I miss the people that we grew up with more in the winter. I don't have an explanation for that other than that we lost two people. Yeah, January is a tough month. It's a motherfucker. It's a motherfucker. And it's never stopped being one for 29 years. Yeah. And, uh, and losing Tim nine years ago did not help. So uh, we've got a lot to say about how we remember him and how we want to remember him. But maybe to put everyone in the right uh, frame of mind, this is verse 330. January 94, camel lights, driveway, counting crows, Mr. Jones, Pearl Jam, puffy coat, picked up before school in a shit box. Included. Dusty tape deck radio buttons, white painted numbers barely visible, accelerating out of sight of Holmes windows, down the street, up the road, Sunny world of blue and white. Belly itching matrix branches perpendicular to snow and sky speed by, and we're soon on Newman Road. I feel like Shackleton, shotgun through the snow-swamped silent marsh. The first asshole smash of gas and brake and twist of steering wheel spins us off the road. Tall brown frozen marsh grass slaps the grill and underside of the car, but we're all lyrics and laughter. Cigarettes produced from vanishing hands and clandestine winter coat inside pockets. The, assign the assessment begins. His car looks like a broken clock hand having flown off the face of the street. Duda, Noonan, and Sitnik are waiting at Buddy's, sitting atop red vinyl bar stools, drinking black coffee from dark brown diner mugs while pooling loose change for raspberry muffins and bagels. We won't make it, won't be on time for school either. Opening notes of all apologies bounces deeply subdued inside the closed cabin of the still-running car. I spin around in my office, polarized by conflicting priorities. Email, the landline, lunch, the cell, paperwork, post-its of to-dos and won't-dos and won't-admit-its. At three o'clock on my right, the laptop looms. At nine, it's the cell. I literally spin, placed over and over in check by the work around me while sliding one square at a time, ducking behind sacrificial ponds of distractions and evasions to stalemate my way through the day. Dry snow blows like a sandstorm out my office window. It occurred to me, and I'm mortified admitting this, that I'm banking on two things to make my, well, to make my life well-lived and avoid sincere regret. Decades more of good health, and a miracle. Basically, I'm a 37-year-old high school actress waiting tables at the Brown Derby in 1973, hoping, hoping to be discovered by Houston or Hudson. 
All moments of adolescence lend themselves to serious philosophical discussions. These moments are universally capitalized upon. This is stark contrast to adulthood when safe cliches are nervously interspersed into calculated reticence. The frozen marsh offers speed bumps of crystallized mud under our sneakers. We encircle the car, offering perfunctory leans against the back bumper to test how late we're going to be for school. It's the last half of our last year and the press of college is stronger than the present day's pressures. Dreams are discussed with stand-by-me determination. The tolling bells of smashing pumpkins disarm, along with the salty morning air and extinguished cigarettes, send us back inside the car's blowing heat. What are you majoring in? Living fast, dying young, and leaving a good-looking corpse behind, he quotes. I've realized I'm not saying anything. I'm living my life paying the bills, being a good husband and father. I'm being the good consumer, the quiet American, preferring to be strangled in the corner by heart attack or stroke than trouble anyone over my death. And they, since they were not the one dead, turned to their affairs. I hate what I'm doing. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, if you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can make one heap of your winnings and risk it all on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss, yours is the earth and everything that's in it. And you'll be a man, my son. This is the path. I'm sure of it. And I'm not taking it. I'm sure of that, too. Still sitting in the car, not caring about what's next, breath by Pearl Jam builds to the bridge. We discuss how we can do anything with our looming futures. This, of course, is not true, but we don't know any better. He reaches like the devil into the back seat, producing his trumpet case. Opening it somewhat cramped on his lap beneath the steering wheel, he produces two beer bottles embedded in the violet velvet plush of the trumpetless case a Molson Ice and a Miller Genuine Draft. He opens both without hesitation, without a sense that he's doing anything improper, illegal, or questionable from any perspective. He gives me the Molson before I know what I'm taking, and he clacks the neck of his beer against mine and chugs about half the MGD like he's slamming Gatorade on the sidelines of a third-quarter football game. We're heading down different paths, but I'll tell you right now, we're both going to make a fucking mark. January exists, among other reasons, presumably to scare the shit out of me. It removes the temptation to falsely believe that things will continue like this, aging unnoticeably, sustaining admirably and indefinitely into perpetual, perhaps contentedness, certainly not happiness, and absolutely unfulfilled. I'm 45 years old, will probably never own a home, nor possess a plan to retire. This is not self-pity, but possibility. I was in New Zealand one May afternoon, which is their autumn, kayaking in Milford Sound. I was 26, but more like the 18-year-old kid off-road in the iced-over marsh, worried about being late to school, or not, drinking the beer, or not. Far from the clustered group of similarly-aged travelers from Singapore, Australia, and the British Isles, I skirted the sides of the fjord near where a thin but forceful waterfall plummeted from hundreds of feet above. It was cold enough that I wore an orange knit hat, but I stared up for a long time before paddling under the pounding water. I can still feel its impression on my scalp two decades later, cold god fingers drumming my head in baptism. 
I consider how I can do anything with my remaining years. This, of course, is true, but I don't know any better. And with that, gentlemen, I still don't know any better. And it's been two years since I wrote this, and it's another fucking January. And, uh, Sitnik, where are we? We're uh, driving around the back roads of the Innsmouth. Innsmouth, that's right. Down Stackyard Road, and, uh... Pretty much in the heart of the city. <laughs> yeah. And not, uh, not entirely dissimilar to the landscape where we recorded our first pod, and where I remember a lot of the shit that I wrote in that. But we, uh, we remember our friend Tim Noonan and wanted to ask you, Corey, because Jeremy and I, being from Newbury, well, the island, Newbury proper. East Newbury. And you've got your ties in Byfield. When was the first time you encountered one Tim Noonan? How old were you? Uh, would have been seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Would have been Triton when we all came together and... It was more being familiar with, I think, Jeremy first. I think it was more uh, being friends with Ben Savage my whole life that kind of automatically put me into that, you know, friendship with kids that he grew up with. Because mm. we had a, a background um, with our dads being best friends forever. And you guys went to school with Ben, right? Newbury Elementary. Yep. Yep. He was there with you guys. Sixth grade camp. And, uh, yeah. So, um, hanging out with Ben and him knowing everyone from Newbury, and it was really easy to kind of get into that. And uh, Tim was, you know, Tim. Tim was just likable, and it was very easy. I, I like to try to be outgoing with people, and I always tried to maybe say a little bit too much and be a little too loud occasionally and I think Tim liked that and uh, we just we got pretty tight pretty quick just through the years but not like the history that you guys had which I like listening to more than I like talking about myself with with Ben was he a band kid if you go back far enough or am I misremembering that well, we all were in Newbury Elementary right? I, I you were so. either singing or you were playing some sort of instrument right. you didn't have a choice <laughs> oh, Larry Bird Jim Brownick could just beat it into you <laughs> if you didn't he'd throw his keys or a folding exactly. chair or something at you well, I played the trumpet at Pine Grove so I kind of started in the band with you guys I remember you there in 7th grade you didn't hang on too long no you Triton. guys were way too good Newbury kids could play, and uh, you were—you guys all just blew me away. You guys were playing stuff that I hadn't even been introduced to yet, and uh, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I to this day, I will—I think I'll defend anyone that would say that there was not a disproportionate amount of talent that came out of our area in music. When I think of. I mean, Noonan was absolutely incredible yeah. on sax. Joe, of course, on drums. There were just a, there were a lot of kids that were way too fucking good. And uh, he was amazing. You know, I remember hanging in there all throughout high school. You know, some of the, some of the competitions that we went to, and uh, they were posted online for a long time. It was Jerry who recorded a lot of that stuff, and he passed away a few years ago. I'm not sure if any of those links are, are still active. But listening to the judges talk over Noonan and Joe while they played, and they were fucking blown away. Yeah, I can remember hearing a few of those. I remember that. 
what about you, Sidek? When did when did Noonan enter your life? Well, I know when he entered your life, but when when was he more someone that you started to build a relationship with? Uh, well, you sent a picture of the Letter Friends play uh, <laughs> a couple weeks ago, yep. and I don't think we were in the same kindergarten class. Um, that time of my life is very fuzzy. Yep. Um, Woodbridge School was pretty much, I think, when all of us just finally knew we were growing up together. Right. And, you know, Timmy Noonan. Timmy Noonan. Doing the mile around the Woodbridge School. He's I mean, fast kid. Right. No one could run 9,000 times around the Woodbridge <laughs> School faster than he could. Legs moved like a, I don't even know. I had like forgotten a, that. Because um, you were another one of the fast kids. I don't know about that. But, uh, yeah, Noonan, Timmy had a pretty uh, interesting way of running, which always, everybody I think who knew him growing up, like he was a good athlete. He too. Was. That was the other thing about him. He was like just... You know, like a lot of guys from Triton who could have really just crushed it in anything they wanted to do. Right. You know. He was an intense kid. Yeah. And uh, Balls to the wall. Balls to the wall. And he was very unapologetic for who he was. I can remember him in seventh grade, and we were in English class. Couldn't tell you the English teacher. Mrs. Waite? Probably. Mrs. Waite. And uh, James Brown had had some run-in with the law. Do you remember this? He was high on PCP or something. He got arrested. And I can remember all these years later, like Noonan making an impassioned speech in English class uh, to defend James Brown because he was such a fan of him as a musician. I don't remember the cut, but just the balls to say something like that in front <laughs> of the class. It had nothing to do with nothing, but he was, he was who he was. And uh, like I said, he never apologized for that. Um, my relationship with him earlier on was a little different because by the time we merged in third grade, the Byfield kids and uh, and the Newbury kids, uh, we were rivals, Noonan and I, for uh, for the hand of Amy Savage. Oh, well, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. My God. Yeah. <clears throat> I uh, like with anything where you put me and Noonan head to head. I uh, I lost. She was the little four leaf clover of every Irish boy's. <laughs> eyes in the Newbury Byfield area, you know? Um, Striking little girl. Definitely. Good kid. Uh, but yeah, that was that was kind of my initial relationship with Noonan in third Forget and fourth grade. Uh, but again, he was, he was an intense kid. He was, he was not going to lose. <laughs> Certainly not to me. Um, reflecting back now, I mean, even I forgot about how fast of a kid he was. So in when you remember him, what are some of the first things that come to mind, Corey? What do you think about? What do you miss? You know, it's interesting that we're, we're here at this very, very spot right now. Um, where are we? This is over here up on the right. We're going to go up where is where Tim and I actually parked and learned and sat out in this marsh and learned the song, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother, together. He had asked me to play it, and uh, I learned it. And we sang it, and we came here to play it because this is the only place we could go where Tim could sing as loud as he wanted to mm. without making a scene somewhere. Because <laughs> even when he sang, he sang. He just... It was... 
he could project yeah. at everything. And I think his whole being projected pretty brightly. And you know what I mean? He had uh, he had some pipes. He did. He had some pipes. He did. And uh, we had to come here. A question I wish I could go back and ask him, and maybe you have some insight, is... <coughs> You know, what did he want to be? And I say that, you, you think, Sitnik, you were talking about what the athlete he was, the sax player that he was, the singer that he was. I mean, he was, he was just a rock star. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know if I ever asked him, which is as funny as I think back to the piece that I wrote where I was with someone else at the time and talking about, like, that end of that journey at the end of high school and, and what do you want to be and the answer that is given in that piece is live fast, die young, and leave a good-looking corpse behind, and I think one could make the argument that our friend did that, um, but what's the sincere answer to that question? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if, if he ever figured it out, but he was, he was a talented person. He went off to UMass, and uh, I don't know, I remember what he studied there. He was roommates, of course, with Joe, who was in business. I don't know if Nuna was in business, too. <clears throat> What he was studying. I went to visit him one time out there. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was an interesting trip. Um, We'll leave it at that. All right. (laughs) Uh, What do you, what do you remember, Sitnik, when you think about him? Um, he was pretty genuine. Um, intense, like you say. Mm. Um, He just had a lot of energy. He did. Like, it's crazy to think that someone that had that much energy, uh, you know, went down the path they did to just be so, what I imagine, that lifestyle, just a lackadaisical, I don't give a fuck. Right. I'm going to lay here and, (laughs) you know, whatever happens, happens. You know, sometimes when a small thing happens, you get an insight into their personality, you get an insight into who they are, and... Maybe that's accurate. Maybe it's not. I remember something that happened at Newbury Elementary School that uh, it's an isolated incident, so maybe there's nothing there. But I think he was more of an innocent in a lot of respects. Definitely. Um, we were in... Well, you mentioned Mr. Bronick earlier. Yep. This is a Mr. Bronick story. Larry uh, Legend. We were we were in either fifth grade or sixth grade. Uh, as I remember it, I feel like we were in Mr. Cosmos's class getting music but that might not make sense we should have been in mrs andriozzi's because all three of us were in yeah uh mrs a's right yep anyway we had some music class and mr bronick says as a preamble sometime in december before the next song that we were going to sing and he said how many of you guys ever ruined your little brothers or your little sister's christmas by telling them there was no such thing as santa claus and I happened to be sitting next to Tim Noonan at the time and saw the look on his face. Uh, nice. And he was fucking blindsided. <laughs> Absolutely fucking blindsided. Fifth grade? I hope it was fifth grade. Uh, I hope it wasn't sixth. <laughs> I hope it wasn't. But I honestly don't remember. And Tim being Tim, like, he wasn't someone that was going to suffer in silence. He had, a, he had a few questions about this and was neither embarrassed nor ashamed. Uh, to ask them, but of course it made everyone else in the class aware that it just got spoiled for him by Mr. Bronick that there was no such thing as Santa Claus. And again, that's just one story. 
And, uh, but I've always felt like that this, this intense kid that we knew and he wore his heart on his sleeve. He's so good. He was just so inherently good. Mm -hmm. But he was, he had that innocent piece of him. And I, I always wonder if that, that innocent part of him made it easier for him to be hurt. Oh yeah. Uh, but I always felt like that, that kind of rung true to me. Yeah. Nothing to do with that, but a, a memory is, uh, mm. and my father just brought it up a few weeks ago talking about, you know, when we were in elementary school, the military industrial complex had a pretty firm grip on all of us as kids. Uh, yeah. We were pretty sure we were all going to be heading <laughs> off to war with Rambo mm -hmm. or, or Arnold and Predator or yep. whatever, you know. Um, and Tim's dad had been in the National Guard and was still pretty active at the 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 armory in Newburyport. In Newburyport. So he'd take us over there. Like I mean, that was like going to Disneyland for us at that point. Sure. Took us through the armory one day, and Timmy always used to say, "Oh, my dad has hand grenades in the basement." Wow. And none of us believed him. Hmm. But you know, it was one of those things that kind of stuck in the back. And one day we're over there. Go down in the basement, and sure enough, no shit. there's hand grenades. <laughs> but the thing my father brought up, which is funny, is, uh, you know, I don't know what year. Platoon came out, I think, in 1986, so what were we, about 11? Yeah. Um, 10, 11, somewhere around there. My parents were very strict about ratings on movies and when I was able to watch them, and I was 11, and Platoon was no doubt an R-rated movie. Yeah. <clears throat> So I had no chance of seeing that ever with them or at, at our house. And uh, went over to Noonan's house one night for a sleepover, and Bob Noonan pops in <laughs> platoon. I got to see it that night. Went home. My father's still fuming about it. He said, I can't believe he let, him, he let you guys watch that. And that, you know, so it was pretty funny. Stuff like that, you know? Yeah. My version of that was, uh, <clears throat> was with Walker and Die Hard 2. Yeah. That was it. My parents, same thing. They, yeah. Ratings govern their lives. Oh, yeah. Stick by that stuff. Um, but yeah, that's uh, no problem. Just go over to go over yeah. to Josh's house. <laughs> Let's take care of that. Um, the crosses were always good for that too. The crosses. I think yeah, I yeah. saw Rocky Four at their house. Okay, that was another one because God forbid you speak bad about Russia back then. Oh uh, yeah, break into a USA chant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've uh, I've got a few pictures. Uh, hate technology for the most part but can't argue with the fact that we are utilizing it now to do what we're doing so i can't you can't use technology to decry technology but you know how how few pictures we have from back then you know you snap sitnik we've been together for 45 minutes you've snapped two or three pictures that i know of yeah since we got together this morning and you know what was the 1993 equivalent to that like it doesn't fucking exist one so. a month film right. was expensive Film was expensive and, and easy to lose. Yeah, and your parents controlled it. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, as like, did Photomat. Like, yeah, and movie ratings. They they controlled movie ratings and uh, and film. But uh, picture that I have uh, hangs up in my house, and it's me and Walker and Tim and Joe. It was taken on May first, nineteen ninety four. The four of us are standing arm in arm. It took about twenty five years for me to figure out who took the picture. I uh, believe it was his one-time girlfriend, uh, Abby Schwartz, oh, nice. uh, who claimed to be the uh, the taker of that photo. And, um, you know, going back to the motherfucker that January is, to look at that picture every day. And, you know, for us, 
to be in our mid-40s, mid to late 40s, and to have lost two of those people, one nine years ago and one 29 years ago. Seems like a lot to lose. Yeah. Seems like a lot to lose. Better to have experienced it, though. Absolutely. And not than not have the experience at all. Yeah. I had a tough time with loss in my life and uh, found that one day I realized that without it, what is any of this worth? If I were going to live forever, I probably wouldn't go to work tomorrow. Yeah. And I think that the flip side, maybe, of January being the motherfucker that it is, is that it's, it is empowering in that sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like the fact that in the years that we've lost him, that the three of us are, we're not on Stackyard any, anymore. I don't know the name of this road. Patmos. Thank you. Um, that we're motivated enough on a disgustingly cold Sunday morning <laughs> in January and, and choosing to remember him and the way that we remember him. Um, I don't know. I need one more story from you, Corey. One more story from me. Jeremy, I think, has got one. I, Jeremy, go. Oh, I was just going to say uh, senior year. Yeah. Uh, probably might have been graduation night. A uh, bunch of us went up to Hampton Beach. Uh, probably Jake, Noonan, probably Duda. I don't remember who else was there. It was a foggy day. But Noonan wore a bathrobe up to Hampton Beach. We were just walking around the strip. Probably a pile of beers in the car somewhere. And just starting with everybody. <laughs> just not really starting with people, but you're walking down the strip in a bathrobe. <laughs> and people would say stuff. Yep. And it was just, it was so, like, Tim, like, kind of just doing it to get a rise out of people. Right. Loving every minute of it. It was funny. That's My best, happiest memory of Happy Happy Tim was at a party. Mm. It was definitely, definitely Sandy Sarney's party. <laughs> and um, him walking around just grinning ear to ear. And he hit... I was kind of how I was because I didn't go to a lot of parties. Jeremy brought me to this party. And I was awkward and out of place, but just in awe that he went from one group of people to another. When we grew up, we had we had cliques. Mm. But Tim didn't. He was everywhere yeah. with everyone all the time. He absolutely blended from one end of that cafeteria to the next yeah. through every clique in every group, in every age group. There was none of that for him. Mm. And I don't, I don't know if that was just the good or an awareness thing but that whole part of Tim is what I remember most and when you think of all the things that you can be good at in high school and what a hard time of year that is for most anybody except for maybe Walker uh, <laughs> that's that's like the biggest talent of all of them just to be able to fit in uh, to be accepted by any group and he was confident in a way uh, that was kind of understated and it's funny, <laughs> don't know if you saw or uh, heard about the result from the, the main event of the UFC. I did. Sean Strickland reminds me of Tim Noonan. Yeah, he does, kind of, yeah. <laughs> there's yeah, you're this, right. There's this intensity 
Uh, you might not know. Again, I'm thinking of maybe getting a rise out of people walking down Hampton Beach. That's w- what I thought of when you told me that. <clears throat> is just this. I'm not sure if he's going to take a swing at someone, right. or <laughs> he's just like having gonna, fun. Yeah, having fun. He's going to give him a hug. Yeah. yeah. And like that. Again, that intensity, but also that heart. Like he's, yeah. he's not anyone that would ever would ever remember him hurting anybody. No, he like, would get caught up in it, and then I think feel bad. Right. Yeah. Uh, I remember him on. Jeez, I don't remember shit about my proms, but I remember. Yeah. I remember his his white. Uh, yep. His white tux jacket that I don't remember anybody else wearing to the prom. I remember that. And it just that's. I think another thing that did he want to be a rock star? Did he want to be an athlete? I think he wanted to be in the mafia. Stand out. Oh, that, absolutely. Yeah, I I can remember a brief period where uh, the above. he called me Gino. Just because he wanted to give an Italian nickname to people he was hanging around Which with. Which is ironic because he could have been like the Irish mob. Right. But yeah. he picked the Italian he mob. He picked the Italian, right? That's sexier than the yeah. Irish one, yeah. especially back in the 90s. Well, Whitey was still buried in... Uh, he wasn't in the... He, no. he was there, but he wasn't well-known at that point. Definitely not. They knew, We knew Goodfellas. We knew shit like that. That was Boy, if Whitey had been well-known back then, Noonan would have been like... Oh, oh yeah, he, yep. mm-hmm. he would have been working for him. Maybe, maybe <laughs> yeah. he was. Maybe he was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The the only hitchhiker I've ever picked up in my life. I was on a farm delivery, and there was Noonan walking down High Road, needing a ride. Nice. Um, well, it was uh, it was good to be with you guys. It was good to get out of bed this morning. And go, let's let's honor this person from our past. Yeah, and make him part of today, because we still hear him in our songs. We still mm-hmm. hear him. We see him in these places that we drive around to. Uh, you know, we we haunt his ghost. I think I would say. That's yeah. Putting it. All right. So for episode three of Times Before Can Be Forgotten, I'm Jeremy Sitnick, Corey Thistlewood. I'm Matthew Connery. We'll see you again next time. Thank you so much for listening.